do thank you for your word. Your word is challenging to us. Your word holds many seemingly inexplicable mysteries. And I ask, Lord, for the grace that I need to speak plainly to your people, to teach in a manner which is pleasing to you and beneficial to them. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, in our journey through the book of Ephesians, we began to discuss the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as I mentioned two weeks ago, is without doubt the most mysterious member of the Holy Trinity. In one passage of Scripture, Jesus likens the Spirit to the wind. You don't know where it comes, and you don't know uh, from whence it came. Sometimes you're surprised by people, aren't you? You don't know that they're there. Have you ever been caught talking to yourself and um, was not aware that someone was there? That just happened to me this morning. I have these new shoelaces in my shoes. They're wonderful shoelaces, except for one thing. They don't stay tied. No matter what I do, no matter how tightly I pull them, no matter what type of knot I put into them, they will come loose in 10 minutes. They're loose right now, and it's driving me nuts. After Sunday school, I went downstairs, and as I was coming up, the shoelaces were loose. And I said something to the effect of, what is wrong with these shoelaces? I'm not happy about it, and I was just tying them up, and I picked up my head, and lo and behold, there's a member of the church laughing at the top of the steps, saying, I was waiting for the reply. The Spirit is like that, in a way. You don't see, you're not going to see Him at the top of the steps. He might give you help with your shoes, but you're not going to see Him. You will feel Him. You will sense His presence. He is, after all, God. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And one of the things we have to understand about the Trinity is the order in which they appear to us. The Lord our God, Jesus, the Son of God, truly became a man. Flesh and blood, just as we are. We know that because we read about it in God's holy word. And we know that he was fully man for one very, two very simple reasons. One, he was born. And the second, he died. But that's not the end of the story. The Spirit, sent by the Father, gave life to Jesus' body and resurrected him on the third day. Now we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a little while. We do not believe that that table becomes anything different than what it is. The bread is bread, and the juice is juice. Why? Because Jesus truly was a man. His body is in one place. The Spirit, however, is not constrained by a body. The Spirit is the one who applies the truths that we understand to represent in the Lord's table and applies and seals the glories of our salvation unto us. That is His job, so to speak. And the Spirit, as we mentioned last week, no, two weeks ago actually, is divine. Just by way of review, the the easiest way we know this 
It's through the baptismal formula that is used in all Christian churches. We baptize converts or infants in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some sects, some cults, and they'll come knocking on your door. I'm not talking about the Mormons right now. They're a little more interesting than these folks. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they come around. Um, one fella traditionally comes by right around Holy Week, and I usually, to the manse, and I usually meet him. When I see him coming, I meet him on the top of the steps. In the last two or three years, he's, he's I said, you remember, and they just turn around and leave. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't. They believe he's just a man. They don't believe that the Spirit is a person or divine. They believe he's just a power. It's just a power. The problem with that is the scriptures rebut that. He is not just a power. He is powerful. We see him coming upon people in the Old Testament. Think of the judges. The judges in the book of Judges. I'm going to teach you the book of Judges now in about two minutes. Less. The people go into the land. They don't conquer it the way they're supposed to. And God allows them to go their own way. They have no king. They do whatever they want. God sends an oppressor, usually the Philistines, to them. They beat up on the Israelites. The Israelites repent, scream to God. God sends them a judge who is invested, empowered by the Spirit to go and literally whoop on the Philistines and deliver the Israelites. Everybody's happy for a while, and guess what? Wash, repent, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat. They do the same thing. Until finally they say, "We, we want a king like the other nations. Give us a king so we can be like the other nations. And God's response is, I'm not enough. You want a king? I'll give you a king. He gives them Saul. It looks like he starts out well, but really doesn't. And then after him, David, who definitely started out very well, but didn't end very well. And then we read in 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, all the way up through the destruction of the temple, which Jesus prophesied about in that reading from Luke. That's what Jesus was talking about in Luke the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. They disregarded their Messiah. They did not acknowledge Christ as king. And about 35 years or so later, the Romans did come through and tore that temple down. Tore it down. Except for that one little piece of that wall. Jesus is a prophet. Saul was a prophet. The first king of Israel was a prophet. I'll admit to you, he was a bit of a knucklehead. When you read about him, it's, it's, you can't figure this guy out, Saul. He's tall, strong, and handsome. You, know, you picture him almost like a Magnum P.I. kind of guy. Just, they pick him literally because he's tall, strong, and handsome. When they go to ordain him, they can't find him. And where do they find him? He's hiding. Okay, I've never understood that. They want you to be the king. That's definitely going to come with some perks. That comes with some perks. This is the only thing that Saul gets right. He's aware, I'm not sure if I want this job. So he goes and hides in the luggage, in the saddlery. That's the only thing he really gets right. Maybe I'm not the guy for this job. 
Maybe there's going to be a problem. A little bit of self-understanding. But there's this period in Saul's life where he comes into contact with a group of prophets and he begins to prophesy and to speak in other tongues as a sign. Then they say, is Saul now numbered amongst the prophets? All of the prophets are inspired by the Holy Spirit, including Jesus. Jesus in his humanity as a prophet was inspired by the Spirit to speak those things in Jerusalem. And guess what? It came true. When the Spirit inspires someone, they do not speak falsity. They do not speak falsity. We know this because of some of the names of the Holy Spirit. He is called the Spirit of God in Romans 8. Speaking of us as Christians, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And in that same passage, notice, he's called the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of God. This is one of the key passages that proves that Jesus is divine. Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There's not two spirits in this text here in Romans. The Spirit of Father. Matthew 10. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And the Spirit, as I just said, He does not speak falsity. John 14. Jesus is promising the disciples. In John 14, He's telling His disciples, Listen, listen kids, things, things are going to go askew pretty soon. I'm going away. I'm going away. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. You're all going to desert me. They're going to kill me. But it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the comforter to you. John 14, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the spirit. Why? Because it does not belong. Behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Now, this is important, this verse, because this proves to us that the Spirit isn't just this power. Jesus is referring to him as he. He is a person. And the Spirit is personal. And when we interface, to use a computer term, this text with the one in Romans where the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ is in us, this is a very important thing for us to realize. That the Spirit of God lives within the soul of every believer. Now, what does that do to you this morning? I can tell some of you aren't that excited. And that's understandable. It's early. You think it's the end of the week, but it's not. It's really the first day of the week. Christ rose on the first day. But shouldn't that stir us? The fact that the Spirit of God would live within us. That's why Paul can say that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't that have some effect on us? Shouldn't that give us some power? It does. If we'll simply acknowledge that the light switch can be turned on. 
Should that not give us some joy and, and some sustaining power to get us through the things? How do you think you get through the things you do? Do you really think that it's by your own willpower and your own strength? Think of some of the things that you have gone through. And I know that some of you have gone through horrible things. Some of you are going through horrible things and many of us will go through horrible things. How do we get through those things? The Spirit comforts us. The Spirit strengthens us. If we were left to our own device, you know yourselves better than I know you, what would you do with your life if the Spirit of God was not holding you and gripping you and constraining you? We make a pretty good mess of it even with Him, don't we? Just think of your last week or your last month. We're nearing the end of March. Think of just 2016. Did you have big plans for 2016? Some near, sometime near the end of December, did you map out exactly how 2016 was going to go? A to-do list for the whole year like I do? Hundreds of things. I can do these. So I can do all this stuff. I can get all this accomplished. I can transform myself into this, 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 wow. I can become Batman if I really try hard enough. Well, by the end of March, we look at those lists and say, well, maybe I can become Robin, but Batman's definitely not in the cards here. It's just not going to happen. We can only accomplish what we have accomplished through the power of the Spirit. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son. We just sang that, right? We just sang that. God gets the glory. When we sin, we take the blame and we confess. And He gets the glory because He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's, he's a kind God. When we do something that's in conformity with God's law and we do good as Christians, who gets the glory? He does, because without him, we would have not done what we did. Now, some of we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you were reared in the church. You grew up in a church like this or similar to this. And you never know a day when you didn't really believe in Jesus. I have to tell you, that must be a great thing. It must be a great thing. I grew up in the church as well, a different tradition than this, you know that. And I really can honestly say that I never didn't believe in Jesus. When people spoke to me about Jesus, it wasn't as if I'd never heard of him. I understood. I was like, well, yeah, of course he's God. Of course he died for me. I, I get all of that. But the real power of the message is that we need forgiveness. Now that I can assure you I didn't get. Looking back on it, I was told that, but I didn't get it. Now I'm not speaking to those of you who grew up in a wonderful white picket fence kind of Christian family. You came into the church from outside. We have a little bit of a different perspective because we know what it's like to look from the outside. And see how nice things look in there. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He brings us all together by the power of the Spirit. There is one Lord, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism, Paul tells us later in Ephesians. 
We're all bound together by the Spirit. We're bound with other Christians throughout the globe by the Spirit. We're being made into a holy temple fit for the Lord's residence by the Spirit. We confess the same thing. That's why it is very important that we hold on to those things that we profess in the, in the, in the creed. Because those are things that we can speak with other Christians about and say, this is what I believe. What do you believe? And those are things that we can tell non-Christians. Well, what do you guys believe? Well, this is what I believe. And they say, oh, I've heard that in church. Well, do you believe it? Or is it just a story that you heard? We hear stories all our lives. We don't believe them all, do we? Some of us are more gullible than others, but I've heard some stories that there's just no way I believe it's going to be true. Someone once tried to convince me that um, we didn't put people on the moon. There's a lie. We didn't put people on the moon. Maybe you've met somebody like this. He actually said something to me that got me thinking for a minute. I thought, hmm. I says, well, how, how on earth do you keep something like that quiet? Uh-huh. After 30 years, someone would have given up the ghost on this one. You're talking about thousands of people have to be in on this. Well, they did it. The main line of argument was there's, there's no wind in space and the flag is flapping. It was somewhere down in Arizona. Yeah, I said, well, can, I guess there's wind in Arizona. I said, my experience has been that people really can't keep their mouths shut about the smallest things. Now we're talking about an epic conspiracy here. We're not talking about six people. We're talking about thousands of people pulling the wool over the entire world's eyes and nobody on their deathbed has decided to say, hey, guess what, guys? I didn't believe the story. Got me thinking just for a minute with that wind thing. I think there has to be some better answer than what you're saying. We did put someone on the moon couple of times. You can't fake that. Besides, why fake it five, six, seven times if you already did it once? Already beat the Russians. Might as well just forget about it. He is a person. The Spirit is a person. He is part of the story. But this isn't a story like that story. This is true. Again, Romans 8. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. That's that's great news. That's really great news. If you haven't trusted Christ, I beg of you to do so now. Because this promise is for anyone who believes. That the spirit that gave Christ's dead body, and he was absolutely dead. The spirit that gave Christ's body life will give your body life on that last and final day. And as we get older, can't speak for everybody, we certainly look a little bit more forward to that day because there isn't quite as much wind in our sails as there used to be. You don't think about this when you're, when you're a kid. Yeah. I'll get resurrected. Great. Got a long time ahead of me. Maybe that will be part of your story. Maybe it won't. Nobody knows. 
But we do know a day will come when Christ will return. And even if he were to return to us now, our bodies will be changed, according to 1 Corinthians 15. Your body may not be dead now, and I know that because you're right here, but it's still mortal. You're sane enough to know that if time keeps going and you stay here and Christ tarries, that eventually your mortal body will reveal its mortality. And that's sad. It's nothing to be joked about. It's nothing to be happy about. You hear people talk about death in the craziest of terms. It's a a blessing? Really? It's not what the Bible says. No, it's perfectly acceptable when a very elderly Christian passes and they're out of pain. That's, That's perfectly understandable. But the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, if the wages of sin is death, then that means we die because of sin. And sin is not good. Sin is not a blessing. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is a blessing. Do you feel convicted by your sin? Do you even know when you sin? You do. Who told you that? Me? The pastor you grew up with? The priest you grew up with? Your mom and dad? No, they were the, they were the, the what the philosophers call the secondary cause. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who convinced you. Here's how I can tell you that. Because I've told hundreds, probably thousands of people this thing. And guess what? They all don't believe. Do you know people that have heard the message and not believed? <coughs> Yeah, now that is a tragedy. That is something to be horrified and saddened by when people hear it and hear it and hear it and still don't really believe. That brings great sadness to our hearts, brings tears to our eyes. But if you believe and you heard the same message, then there has to be something supernatural going on here. Because you have the same ears that they do, and you can probably think of someone who's actually smarter than you, who's heard the same thing and doesn't believe. So it doesn't have anything to do with a high IQ, doesn't have anything to do with a high income bracket, doesn't have any idea, anything to do with the ability to actually hear or comprehend the story. It's a supernatural gift of God that you believe what you believe. Have you ever heard people say, well, if you just have enough faith, it'll happen. How many of, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have heard something like that? If you just believe it will happen. Okay, you can put your hands down now. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. He actually says, if you have faith like a mustard seed. So that should tell us how strong our faith actually is. The next time somebody says, you know, you just have to have more faith. You have to say, brother or sister, neither of us even has the faith of a mustard seed. Because it's been a long time since I saw anybody speak a mountain into the ocean. <coughs> I've, seen a, I've seen a lot of things. I've never seen that. That means all of our faith is smaller than a mustard seed. It doesn't take a lot of faith to believe the basic message. But we have inference. We can say, well, if it takes the faith of a mustard seed to say to the mountain, crash into the sea, 
which I hope none of you think you've actually done, then to actually believe the message, it takes less faith. Which means we don't have any faith in us unless the Spirit gives it to us. Do you believe? Then to God be the glory. Great things He has done. He's changed you. He's given you a new heart. He's made you a new mind. He's given you a mind to understand and believe the message. So when we pray for our unbelieving friends and family members, we need to ask that the Spirit of God would convict them of their sins. Because that is the first step. If you don't believe you're a sinner, then you don't need a Savior, right? If you believe you can walk the mile, you don't need a bike, you don't need a car. If you don't believe that you can walk the mile, then you need some form of transportation. You have to believe that you're a sinner first. And if you believe you're a sinner, you believe that because the Spirit has convicted you of those sins. It comes from outside of you. And last for this week, with his personhood, Jesus says again in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance what I said to you. Now, when he says he will teach you all things, he's not talking about geometry or computer science. He's talking about spiritual things. The things that the disciples would then remember and write down in what we call our Bibles. And he teaches us. He brings these things to our remembrance. So as we prepare our hearts to remember the Lord's death and this memorial meal, let us remember that it is the Spirit of God who is causing us to remember. You pray with me. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your spirit. And we ask that as we continue to study his power and his person, that you would grant us further understanding into the mystery that is you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.